0: Welcome to the Merge podcast. The Merge is the student ministry of the First Baptist Church in Barnwell, South Carolina. The mission of the Merge is to equip students to love God and His people. Here is student pastor Ryan Holtzman. And so with that trailer, probably the best show on network television, all right, started its sixth season. and And it started out where... If you've watched 24, I'm a 24 nut. I love that show, all right? It's just like an adrenaline rush for me on Monday nights and 9 o'clock. And then I flip over and I start watching Raw, man. And, and it takes me for like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning to go to bed because I'm just ready to just, ugh. Anyway, so so with that, with that trailer right there, that started season 6. Well, at the end of season 5, Jack Bauer... All right, Jack Bauer is like taken hostage by the Chinese and he's tortured and he's uh, beaten and all this other stuff. And then this dude shows up at the beginning of season six and he says, hey, I got nuclear bombs scattered all across the country, all across the United States, and if, if you do not want them to go off, then you need to hand Jack Bauer over to me to die. So essentially they were asking Jack Bauer... To sacrifice himself for America and for thousands and possibly millions of people, you know. Without trying to sound too blasphemous, meaning comparing Jack Bauer to Jesus, I, I don't. I don't. Not putting them in the same category because they're very two very different individuals. So I'm not putting Jack Bauer on Jesus's level. But if you think about it, it's curious to note the parallels that the writers of the 24 series how they compare okay the parallels between Jack Bauer and Jesus um there's the two of them are both very healthy okay Jesus was very healthy Jack Bauer is very healthy Jack Bauer can kill anybody whenever he wants to Jesus could kill anybody whenever he wanted to he was God uh, they were young men that worked in construction at one point in time. Uh, they, were, uh, they always told the truth. Jesus never lied. Jack Bauer always tells the truth. Honesty is his motto. They always accomplish their mission. They oppose evil. They're betrayed by close friends. They are saviors. Who are asked to lay down their life for the good of other people, even when they've done nothing wrong. In so many ways, 24 is a lot like many other pop cultural stories. They echo, a lot of stories echo this idea of Jesus, the hero, substituting himself to be our savior. In our place to substitute themselves from suffering so that we wouldn't have to suffer jesus the god man he was god as much god as he was man he taught the foolish he fed the hungry he healed the sick he encouraged the brokenhearted he counseled the wayward and he loved the sinner yet jesus was emphatic that the primary purpose of his coming to the earth was to suffer and die, and die for you. In John chapter 12, verses 27 through 28, this is part of the story where Jesus is leading up to the week of his crucifixion. Jesus says, during that time, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour." But for this purpose, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In that moment, in that very moment, Jesus says, my purpose was to come here and die. And so in that very moment, Jesus was then setting his gaze on the cross. His mission was almost over. And he was facing the cross. We're going to be in a lot of scripture tonight. And and I want you guys to uh, have your Bibles ready. Just flip with me. I'll have the verses on the screen. I want you to flip with me as the verses come up. Take notes. But I want you to understand, tonight is not going to be a fun night. Even though it kind of started out that way, I want you to understand that tonight is all about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand some things about crucifixion and what that was all about. To be crucified on a cross, it was invented by the Persians around 500 B.C. It was perfected by the Romans in the days of Jesus. It was not outlawed until the time of Emperor Constantine. He was the ruler of Rome around 400 A.D. He finally said, enough. In the days of Jesus, crucifixion was reserved for the most um, horrendous of criminals. It was, it was so bad that even the worst Roman citizens were beheaded rather than crucified. They wouldn't put their own people on a cross. Even the, uh, the Jews also considered crucifixion the most horrific style of death. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 21, you don't have to go there, but in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 through 23, it says, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. The Jews were afraid of crucifixion, The ancient Jewish historian, Josephus, called crucifixion the most wretched of deads. The ancient Roman philosopher, Cicero, he asked that decent Roman citizens not even speak of a cross because it was so disgraceful a subject for the ears of decent people. But guys, we've taken this idea of a cross and the crucifixion and and we we wear it all the time on us back in their day. If they saw a cross, it was so horrendous and so frightful to them. It would almost be like an AIDS victim walking around with a a big sign on their chest saying that they have AIDS. And the way we would view that person, we would stay away from that person, we would be afraid of that person. We wouldn't want much to do with that person. That's the way these guys viewed the cross. That's how scared of it they were. The pain of crucifixion is so horrendous that a word was invented to explain it, and that word is excruciating. The word excruciating, and it literally means from the cross. A crucified person could hang on a cross for days, passing in and out of consciousness, as their lungs struggled to breathe while laboring under the weight of their body. They just kind of hung there, dead weight. To make sure that the person on the cross endured the greatest amount of suffering possible. The Roman officials would often have the criminal beaten prior to being placed on the cross. There were many who died before they even made it to the cross because they were beaten so bad. Jesus had his hands chained above his head to expose his back and his legs to an executioner's whip called a cat of nine tails. It was bones off of a cat's tail that were sharpened, and they were tied together like a whip. And the whip was a series of long leather straps. And at the end of those straps were heavy heavy balls of metal. Then it tended to tenderize the body of their victim, almost like a butcher sometimes or somebody that's cooking takes a meat tenderizer and hammers meat in order to make it smaller and to tenderize it. That's what this thing did. Some of the straps had hooks made of either metal or cat bone that would sink deep into the shoulders and the back and the butt and the legs of the victim. Isaiah the prophet wrote, hundreds of years before Jesus, before he was even born, that many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human Uh, resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus was beaten badly, hooks sunk deep into his skin, muscle, tendons, and even his bones. His body was in agony. He shook violently and he bled heavily. You've seen the pictures from the Passion of the Christ the gospel's report that after Jesus had been beaten beyond recognition that the guards further humiliated him by placing a crown of thorns on his head imagine somebody taking briars about that long and taking it and putting it into a crown and then not just laying it on your head but driving it down into your head you've already been beaten you're sweating and the blood from that crown starts running into your face and down into your eyes, and you start eyes start burning. And there's nothing that you can do about it. And that's what Jesus was experiencing. Following this, Jesus was handed over a recycled cross that weighed about a hundred pounds. And they said, "Hey, you've walked miles and miles." You hadn't slept. You, you have, you've been bleeding. I'm surprised you're not dead already. But they take this cross that others had already died on, and the blood of those people are stained on that cross, and they place it on his back, 100 pounds, and they tell him to carry it. And as you know, the story goes, he couldn't carry the cross. He fell, he was so weak. Simon, the Syrian, picked it up and carried the cross on for Jesus up to the heel of the skull. Once they got him there, Jesus was placed on the cross and five to seven inch rough metal spikes were placed in the most sensitive nerve endings in the entire human body, his hands and his feet. Once he was completely nailed to the cross, Jesus was then lifted up and this cross dropped into this hole that had already been prepared, causing his body to begin to shake violently on these spikes. He's bleeding. His back is just singed wide open. His flesh on this wood, splinters probably entering his body. At this point, Jesus labored to be able to breathe, and he began to go into shock. He was naked, and he was embarrassed, and he hung there in pain. This would almost be like you guys going over here to Reed's. This is how embarrassing it was. It would almost be like you going to Reed's with your mom and dad, and a guy hanging from a cross Right out in front of the grocery store, dying, naked and beaten. That's how public it was. There was no shame in this type of death. Isaiah the prophet wrote again, a hundred years, several hundred years before this even happened, he wrote that Jesus, the Messiah, would be despised and rejected by man. He would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him. We liked him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken. We liked him being stricken. They liked him being punished. Isaiah says that he was smitten by God. That means God was angry because Jesus became sin, and we'll talk about that, he was afflicted with pain. But the question is why? Why did Jesus, God in the flesh, allow himself to be put through such torture and agony and humiliation? Couldn't there have been another way? What did Jesus accomplish by going to the cross and suffering through all of this? That's the question we'll be looking at tonight. In order to understand why it had to happen this way, there's seven things that I want you to see. The first is this. You have to understand that God is holy and without sin. Leviticus 19.2. That's in the Old Testament. But Leviticus 19.2 says this. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Isaiah 6.3 says, And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at First 1 John 1, 1.5 John writes, the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is holy. He is without sin. The holiness of God. This is the most frequent attribute that is associated with Yahweh, God the Father. God is without sin. God despises sin and cannot stand to be around the evil act. God is sickened to sin, like some people are sickened by blood. There are some people that, that if you even mention the word blood, or you show them blood, they pass out. They can't be around blood. This is a really neat image, and I want you to think about it. God hate sin as much as some people hate blood or some people hate needles or how some people are claustrophobic. God despises that. He can't be around it because God is holy. God despises sin. God is holy and is without sin. The second thing that I want you to see is that God made us holy and without any sin. Do you realize that at the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were created, he created them to live in perfect harmony with himself and with the creation. Adam and Eve were created in God's image and in his likeness and that means that when they were created, they were created perfect. I think Adam was probably a well fit man. Eve was probably beautiful. Matter of fact, I know she was. There's no doubt in my mind, Eve was just gorgeous woman. But more than that, there was no sin. There was no blemish upon them. And God created us that way. Genesis 1.31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, this only have I found, God made mankind upright. God made us in his image. He made us to be perfect. Before Adam and Eve gave in to the devil's temptation in the garden, we were in perfect harmony with God. Everything was perfect. We were perfect at one point. But the third thing that I want you to see One reason that it had to be the way that it had to be when Jesus went to the cross is this fact sin results in death. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, in the Garden of Eden, that in the it was in the Garden of Eden that God made this promise to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. He says, Hey, if you disobey me, you will die. And he didn't mean if you walk over there, as it was seen, if you go over to that tree, you take that fruit, you're going to die like then. He wasn't talking about a physical death, he was talking about a spiritual death. We're all going to physically die. As a result of what Adam and Eve did, that is true, but he was talking more about a spiritual death, a spiritual separation between us and God. Sin results in death. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in Genesis three twenty-two through twenty-four, God said, "The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil." He must not be allowed to reach out his hand to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden a cherubim, an angel, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, this is the image of what sin does to us. You are living a lifestyle of sin right now. Whether you're a Christian or not, you live a lifestyle of sin. And if you're not saved, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God and he went to a cross for your sins, if you do not believe that, then know this you're dead. You are dead where you sit. Because sin makes it impossible for you to live forever. Sin makes it impossible for you to live with God in harmony. The life that Adam and Eve had known where everything was in perfect harmony, it no longer existed. God is a living God, and he's a source of life And when you take that source of life and you cut it off with sin, it results in death. This is similar to a a piece of technology, like an alarm clock. This is similar to an alarm clock being unplugged from its power source. It still exists, but there's no power to it. It's functionally dead. The same way the Bible says that because of sin. We are physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Colossians 2.13 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Guys, listen up. If you are not saved, you are dead. You're not spiritually functioning. You're just here. And sure, you'll enjoy this life, And you live it up and you enjoy it. Live it up for the 70 years that hopefully you'll be here. But if you never commit and accept that you are a sinner, then you have no hope. And that's as blunt as I can put it. You're dead where you sit. You are of no use to God. If you're playing Christian and you know if you are or not, you're no use to God. You're dead where you sit. Sin results in death. The fourth reason Jesus went to the cross, or one of the fourth reasons as to why Jesus had to go to the cross I want you to understand that Jesus is sinless. So you got to understand that we are full of sin, but Jesus is holy. He is sinless. He is God. Hebrews 4 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he is without sin. Jesus was tempted. In every way, just like you were, he came down here. He lived the life that you live. He was tempted by the same things that you're tempted with, and yet he never gave in. Hebrews 7.26 says, Such a high priest meets our need, one who was holy and blameless and pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. First Peter 2.22 says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Never once while he was on this earth did he ever sin. He never disobeyed his mom and dad. He never lusted. He never cursed. He never gave anybody the finger. Jesus was totally perfect. He was blameless, blameless. He was perfect and always. First John 3:5 says, "In him there was no sin." Jesus is sinless but we are sinful. Despite the fact that God at one time made us sinless, everybody but Jesus is a sinner, both by nature and by choice. Our sin includes our words, our deeds, our thoughts, and our motives. You understand this, that even non-Christians admit that nobody is perfect, We are all sinners. Psalm 53.3 says that everyone is turned away. They have together become corrupt. There is no one good, not even one. Isaiah 64.6 says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts, no matter if you do something good, it's still like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Guys, you can't do anything good to get into heaven. Isaiah says right there, anything good that you try to do is like a filthy rag at God's feet. It means nothing if it's not done with Jesus Christ in your life. Romans 5.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the trust is not in us. Guys, if you think that you are not a sinner, that you don't do things bad, if you don't do things against God, you're lying to yourself. We can't help but sin. It's what we do. It's who we are. You were born into sin. Nobody had to teach you how to do bad things. You just did it. We are all sinners. And because we're sinful, that leads to the sixth truth about Jesus and the cross. And that is that Jesus became sin. Jesus never sinned, but I want you to understand that on that cross, Jesus became the worst of everything that we are. He didn't sin, but he became sin. It means that he, in that very moment that Jesus was on the cross, the very moment that he cried out, that he had been forsaken by God, that God had turned his back on him. That means that Jesus became the most ugly, wicked, defiled, evil, corrupt, rebellious, and a hideous thing in all of creation. In that moment, Jesus became a homosexual. Jesus became an alcoholic. He became a thief, a glutton, an addict, a pervert, an adulterer, a coveter, an idol worshiper, a whore, a pedophile, self-righteous, he became all of that. He became all of that when he was on that cross because that's what all of us are. We all fit that category. And we deserve to be eternally separated from God instead Jesus became it. Martin Luther, one of the greatest theologians that ever lived, says that Jesus became the great exchange. It means that he willingly exchanged all of his goodness and his sinlessness for our terrible ways and all of our sins. Scripture makes it clear that Jesus exchanged this willingly. He exchanged obedience for our disobedience he exchanged his intimacy with God for our distance from God. His blessing for our cursing. He exchanged his life for our death. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians five twenty one It says, For our sake he made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus became sin. When he was getting beaten, you were on his mind. When he was being drugged, Up that road to that cross to die, you were on his mind. He knew you were going to be created before you were created. And you were on his mind. Jesus died for us. In this statement, the word for has huge implications when it comes to the fact that Jesus died for us. This word means that Jesus substituted himself. Remember that the wages of sin is death. It's not physical death because that death will happen no matter what. The punishment of sin against God is a spiritual death and an eternal separation from God. And by Jesus taking this punishment and dying on the cross, he made sure that all who are willing to make him Lord of their life will never die. The person who accepts this will live forever because Jesus died for us. The wrath of God that should have fallen on us instead fell on him. And it wasn't something that Jesus was forced to do. He did it willingly. John 10, 18, he says, "'No one takes my life from me, "'but I lay it down of my own accord, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my Father. Philippians 2.8 says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 12.2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfector of our faith, who for the joy, who for the joy who for the joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Do you get that? For the joy he endured the cross, knowing that all those that accepted him would live eternity. He endured the cross. The scorning is shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins. Willingly, Jesus died for you on that cross, and he was joyful in doing so. the sinless Jesus literally stood in our place and he suffered and he died. And that makes Jesus our savior. He's the only one that can take away the curse that we deserve because of our sin. So we started off a little bit ago asking this question, what did Jesus accomplish on the cross? What he accomplished is the salvation of the undeserving. What he accomplished is that he demonstrated to the entire course of human history how much God loves all of us. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? He accomplished love. Jesus stated, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. John 3, 16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitution for our sins. Jesus accomplished love on that cross. And you guys might get tired of hearing it. And you might get tired of talking about it. And you may not even care. But just because you don't care. Doesn't change the fact that he did what he did. And because he did what he did. I want you to understand that it does not matter. What you have ever done. If. If you've done some things in your past that if you've done some things in your past that are considered sinful if you have been a, uh, you've had some sexual situations or if you've been drunk or if you've whatever if you've cut yourself if you've whatever I want you to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin. And no matter what you've ever done, it can and it will be forgiven if you just acknowledge him as your savior. Jesus accomplished on the cross love. Love for you, love for me, love for all of humans. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. But God, more than that, thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that he willingly came, that he willingly died on that cross and substituted himself where I'm supposed to be. On that day, God, he had me on his mind. He had everybody in this room on his mind. And God, I know that there's people here right now that have been distracted tonight, people sitting around them and stuff, and I understand that. But God, my prayer is that somebody, anybody that has no idea about who you are, And what you can really do for somebody. Heard the message. And understands that without Christ, they're already dead. And there's nothing they can do about it. That unless they accept him, their eternity is already sealed. Let them understand, God, that it doesn't matter what they've done in their past. You loved them enough to go to that cross. You love them enough to forgive them. And let them come to you now, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Merge podcast. For more information about the Merge student ministry, please go to www.mergestudents.com.